All right, guys. Hey, welcome to episode number 263 of the Ardello Training Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is a great session, folks. Uh, I've got a great interview with Coach Johnny Parker, who is a legendary strength coach, a longtime college and strength coach in the NFL. And this interview was really a lot of fun and uh, really just pure content and uh, no announcements or anything like that. We're really going to get right into the interview this week. I do want to tell you about Coach Parker because uh, we got right into the interview when we did the session. We just got right into things. And uh, actually, to tell you the truth, we had some technical difficulties before doing the session. The interview turned out absolutely fine. But we were on the phone for about, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes trying to get some of the technical things worked out. And he was incredibly uh, gracious and uh, humble in staying in there and doing this interview. And like I mentioned just a minute ago, this session is really just pure content. So I would highly encourage you to listen all the way through. I felt like things got better and better as we got deeper and deeper into the interview. Uh, Right around the uh, 18-minute mark or so, we started talking about uh, the specifics of his new book titled The System, and he really gave some great information around how to use it and what this program has done. You're going to hear all about it and learn all about it, so I won't get into that right now, but I really encourage you to listen uh, through to this session, and I think so much of uh, Coach Johnny Parker. This is the first time I've ever spoke to him, and I'm so glad that I came into contact with him. I got to tell you, one of the great things about doing this podcast is the amazing people that I come into contact with in doing the show. And I'm so impressed by Coach Parker. I really wanted to make sure that I said this before we got into the interview because he has done so much in this industry. He has had so much incredible success and he is so, so humble and gracious. And you will hear that in the session. You'll hear exactly what I mean But I'm so impressed with that because his ego could be huge with all the great things that he has done in his years, his decades of coaching. And he is just so down to earth and so humble and appreciative. And I just think the world of that. So I know you're going to love this interview session. Let me give you the specifics around Coach Johnny Parker. First of all, he is the co-author, one of the co-authors of a new book, titled The System, in which he co-wrote along with Al Miller, Rob Panariello, and Jeremy Hall. So uh, quite a combination here. Uh, All these uh, people have very accomplished backgrounds. But uh, Coach Parker began his coaching career in 1969, and he spent 10 years coaching at the collegiate level where at Indiana University, he became the first strength and conditioning coach in the Big Ten. He later spent 21 years as a NFL strength coach, beginning with nine years in the New York Giants organization under coach Bill Parcells, legendary coach Bill Parcells. He was there when they won Super Bowls. He spent seven seasons with the New England Patriots, followed by helping the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win their first Super Bowl in team history in 2003. 
And then he went on to the San Francisco 49ers. Twice during the 1980s, he went to the Soviet Union to study under Russian gold medal winning Olympic weightlifting coaches. And he took what he learned from these masters and applied it to his football players. And fundamental to Coach Barker's training protocol were the inclusion of explosive movements derived from the Olympic lifts and a more scientific approach to program design that focused on speed, strength, and health that uh, really became Parker's emphasis as he produced strong and durable athletes. Uh, Really had some just incredible success in terms of performance, strength, uh, training, longevity, and uh, keeping players uh, very durable and injury-free. And again, you're going to hear and learn all about that. What's really interesting about this is that we talked about uh, applying the program to anybody that is trying to improve strength and performance and be in for the long haul. So I think this uh, program, uh, this book is really going to have a big impact. I do want to give you a little bit of background. What I talked about in the interview is prior to the interview, I have the PDF version, the digital version of the book. Uh, if you know me, if you know uh, you know what I talk about here on the podcast, I like to read the physical book. So while I skimmed through the digital version, uh, I am still right now waiting on my print book to come. And uh, I can't wait to read it and get into it and learn more about the system. So I actually was listening very intensely as Coach Parker was talking during this during this interview and taking a lot of notes. As a matter of fact, if you want to see some of the notes around the training parameters, the specifics that he talks about, make sure that you see the post for this episode on ardellatraining.com because the notes that I took, I posted in this, uh, in the post. So you can take a look at that. If you're listening to this and you're, you know, you're listening to numbers and things like that, like I said, it's very specific and very tactical. So definitely go and check that out. All right, guys, I think I've uh, given you enough about Coach Parker. Let's jump right into the interview, and then I'll circle back very briefly at the end of the session. I highly encourage you to listen all the way through this one. It's it's really a great, valuable interview uh, and pure content. I hope you enjoy. Well, Coach Parker, I have to say that, uh, first of all, it's Really, really humbling to speak to you. Thank you so much for taking your time to do this interview. Um, I'll just say a little bit about your your background as we get started. You've been coaching since 1969. You have 10 years as a college strength coach, 21 years as a NFL strength coach. Um, You've worked with a lot of different teams. And um, if you don't mind me asking you, um, what's really been the highlight of your career? You've done so much. Well, uh, well, I don't know about done so much. I've just done it for a long time. But, but coach, that's that is really an easy question to answer. It's it's any time that a a kid, whether it's in the classroom, you know, I taught and coached in high school for five years, and any time whether it's a kid in the classroom or a kid in in football, that a kid learned the real meaning of sacrifice and dedication loyalty and teamwork and belief in themselves. You know, kids have such a shallow self-esteem. When I felt that they had learned those things and they 
put everything they had into what they were doing and then had success, that's the highlight. Because, you know, if you try to instill any of those principles in kids and they don't have success, they're going to think, well, you know, I tried this loyalty thing. I tried this dedication and hard work and all. Man, look what it got me. Nothing. I'm going back to doing it my way. Yeah. So seeing them have success through learning how to sacrifice and do the best they could, that's always has been and always will be the highlight. So you've had incredible success and, like I said, incredible accomplishments. What What do you think, if I said, you know, what's the one thing that makes Johnny Parker successful what what's the one thing what what have you done through your career that you can really hang your hat, hat on well now the, see that's a tough question because then we're presupposing that i was any good and i look back <laughs> and i think of all the the things that i did wrong but I, I guess if there was anything that i did halfway good it was that i i love my kids so much and I was so invested in in their journey, their quest to, to be great, that I, I guess if I, you know, have any redeeming qualities, I, I guess that would be it. It's right. just is care, not just caring about the kids, really loving those kids. And uh, I, and then because of that because of of loving the kids, then you owe it to them to demand their best. I don't mean suggest that they do their best. You got to demand their best. And then to have the right to do that, you've got to give them your best. So I, I learned to expect an awful lot out of myself or else I would just be foolish to try to demand that kids do their best. And I wasn't setting the example. You just mentioned something there. I thought was really interesting. You talking about kind of the difference between demanding the best out of someone from an athlete and suggesting uh, that they do their best. What, how do you see that as a difference? How do you, how do you demand that someone does their best to get their best? Well, coach, I think first of all, that, <laughs> In any new relationship, you got to set the expectations right away, right away, a crystal clear, blindingly clear, I like to say, that there's absolutely no doubt what you expect, and then you can't let anything slide. So I think this, I've, I've told this to so many young coaches, decide what you think is important. And don't ever compromise on it, because if you do, you'll never get it back. Right, right. So I think this, that that everybody responds one way or another to pressure. And the more pressure you can apply, then the more the kid will respond. But there's a caveat to that. The first thing... Then with applying pressure is you've got to make a kid feel special. You've got to make them feel capable that their dreams are important. 
that they can really accomplish something, that the potential for greatness is in them. And that doesn't mean that they'll all be, you know, pro football players. It doesn't mean that they will all be uh, history majors when they go to college. It just means learning how to do their very best to me is achieving greatness. You know, greatness doesn't have anything to do with fame or money. It's using the abilities you were given to the highest degree, and especially when you help other people with those abilities. So first, you have to set the expectations. And then I I say this, Coach, that any relationship between a teacher and student and a coach and player, employer, employee, really has four stages. And the first is fear. Now, that diminishes over time. And that fear doesn't mean, you know, of any physical repercussions these days, but it can mean incurring your displeasure, or it means being called out in front of the group, whatever. There has to be a fear. I worked for Coach Parcells for 11 years. I never once felt comfortable when he would walk in the weight room. I would always be, well, does he think I'm working him hard enough? Does he think I'm working him too hard? Does he like, you know, the, the, the atmosphere that we have in here? All of those, I just it, I went into a panic every time he would walk in the weight room. And that was pretty often, too, that he would that he would come in. Then I think the next step, and they can't ever lose that fear. The next step is professional respect. Well, old Coach Jones, boy, I tell you, that dude is hard now. Boy, he is hard on us. But, you know, he knows his stuff. And what he's telling us is helping me get better. And then, to me, the third step is personal respect. Yeah. And that is, well, I'm telling you, that that old coach, man, when we first started, I hated that dude. <laughs> but, you know, he knows his stuff. And now I realize he really cares about me. He believes in me. He thinks I can do something. Well, you know, nobody's ever told me those things before. Well, I like hearing that. I like feeling that somebody believes in me. So I don't want to let that dude down. I'm going to do my best for him. And then, Coach, the the last and the ultimate is when a person in your charge thinks, you know, I really like this feeling of doing my best. I like the way it feels. And you know, oh, coach was right. I can do something. I can do something really good. I like this feeling so much that I don't want to let myself down. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. And when you have been able to have to go through those four steps with a young person, you've had an, an, an impact for good on their lives. Let me ask you about that last step, if you don't mind. How do you what what would what would that step be called? Is it is it belief? Is it self belief? Self-belief. Self-belief. Okay. Yeah, believe okay. that I can. Believe okay. that I can do something special. 
You know, it's so easy to crush a young person's self-esteem. It's so easy. Yeah. But when you make them feel special and you make them understand that you believe in them, then, then you're not, it's not, oh man, that, that dude, he's, man, he stays on me. What's up with that guy? Man, he needs to just shut up and go, go on and bother somebody else. No, it's when you make them realize that you believe in them, then to get them to start believing in themselves, they usually need some external st- stimulus. It's like when you build a fire in your fireplace. You know, you you need to put some wood in there and some kindling and light that up, and then every once in a while, you got to throw some more logs in there. That fire didn't burn by itself. Coach, I want to go back to um, stage three. You talked about personal respect. Uh, I- I'm wondering, does that mean that they have to like you? No, they have to respect you. Okay, so it's not about likability. It's about respect as a, as a person. Y- yes, sir, but... Okay. You know, it's hard not to like somebody that believes in you. Right. That tells you you can do something special. You can do better than what you're doing. Nobody really resents that. When you care enough about them to demand their best, then they, uh, it's human nature to deep down inside to appreciate that. And to not ever forget it. Coach, uh, I, I definitely, you know, we're going to talk a lot about your, your book, The System. I want to hear all about that. Um, before we talk about that, one question I did really want to ask you was around who have been the biggest influences and mentors for you as a coach. Again, because you have so much experience, you've done so much. And this is probably okay. a really hard question, but if you it have is because there had been a, a number, but yeah. originally when I first started, I was so lucky to have Alvin Roy, Louis Ricky, and Clyde Emmerich. Is they kind of took me under their wing, and you know I was just a little podunk coach at a little high school in Mississippi, and yet they treated me like I was somebody. And they answered my questions, dumb as they might, as my questions might be. They answered them. And again, they treated me with dignity. And they were never too busy. And I would go and visit them and watch them train their players. And again, they just, they they couldn't have been better people to me. And another, not only did I learn about working with athletes from them, but those men were the same, whether their team had just won a Super Bowl or whether they had just, you know, laid an egg that year, whether their team was really bad. They were the same all the time. Their team's record didn't determine their self-worth. They were gentlemen all the time. And I think everybody needs to kind of take a little, you know, a, a little, give a little thought to that. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen people that thought, that their team's record determined how good a coach they were or what their, you know, their self-worth is. And, you know, as you you and I both know, that's certainly not true. Yeah. But Mr. Roy could coach 
the person better than anybody I've ever seen. He could get into the marrow of your bone and get every last thing out of you better than anybody. And, and the way he did it was you just thought, okay, I'm not, you know, Mr. Oliver is not a big imposing man, but you would think to yourself, I'm not going to let that little son of a gun get me. <laughs> I'll show him. But then he had you. He had you. So, again, those men are the men that everybody who is a strength coach owes their, their jobs to. And we're just lucky that it's men like them that were the, the pioneers of this profession. Currently, listen, I, if stealing ideas was a, a criminal offense, man, I've stolen so much from Al Miller and Rob Panarella that <laughs> they, they'd have me so far under the jail they'd have to – you know, they'd have to shoot me my beans with a with a howitzer. <laughs> I mean, they 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 have been just such invaluable resources. LeBaron Carruthers was a, a man that just taught me so much early on. And LeBaron worked so hard to gain his knowledge, he didn't just share it with everybody. And I guess he felt sorry for me or something, but he helped me so much. And, you know, there have been so many people that I have. Uh, and then Mr. Goldstein, who is the one that taught us this system of periodization. He came to America from, from what is now Belarus, but it was a, you know, a Soviet state then, not an independent country. And he came to America and thought that there'd be op better opportunities for him and his children here. And just luckily for me, he was right on my doorstep in St on Staten Island. And yeah. I just filled up so many notebooks learning from Mr. Goldstein. And then uh, Rob Panarello, would, we would meet at Mr. Goldstein's house or the Jewish community house in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, and just question him and question him and question him. And then Al Miller started flying in from Denver on weekends to meet with Mr. Goldstein. So he has had a, Mr. Gregory Goldstein had a pronounced, a pro profound and pronounced influence on all three of us. How did you guys come together to, to develop the system? You kind of talked about that with um, Mr. Goldstein. Tell us a little bit about the story of, of this book, the system and maybe how it's different from other literature, other methods that, that are out there. Scott, here's what's baffling to all three of us is Mr. Goldstein taught us this. We started 28 years ago. You know, well, wait a minute, this is old. This is yesterday's news. Well, <laughs> we kept waiting for to find other people doing this, you know, as things progress, people try systems and then move on to something else. Well, even though the, the numerology of this system is in all the Soviet training literature. Yes. We don't find anybody that does it. Nobody. So yeah. it's not like we've passed it by. Is nobody in America is yet doing it. 
And Alan Rob and I agreed as we were learning this, that it gave us a competitive advantage. We thought it was the best thing that we ever learned. And we agreed then just not to spread this thing around here, you know, while we were still actively coaching. Well, now Rob is still going, you know, a hundred miles an hour, but I, Al and I are retired and we just decided that we wanted to leave something behind. Yeah. Something to help other coaches the way that this helped us. And to our knowledge, there's nothing out there like this. And we just, you know, we just kind of see this as maybe our legacy or a way of getting to coaches that we would, you know, never speak to or, you know, that would never call us or, you know, we'd never have any interaction with. Yeah. So this is I, you can say this is what we want to leave behind is to is our gift to coaches today and tomorrow and the next generation. How would you describe the system? I mean, in, in layman's terms, someone is, is listening to this and they're like thinking to themselves, what is what is this system? What are they talking about? How okay. do you how do you describe it? And then and then talk about the the outcomes. What did you see? when the three of you put the system into practice? Okay. First of all, this system is a way of knowing not only what to do, but what to do next. Now, for example, when Clyde Emmerich and Lewis Rickey both told me this, that in their lifting days, and they were world record holders, but in their lifting days, they would try a routine and they would do it till it quit working. And then, and then they would say, okay, hey, anybody got any ideas? Well, yeah, I had luck with the five, four, three, two, one or something. So, okay, well, we hadn't done that. Let's try that. Well, they would try it. And if it worked, they would try it till they quit progressing and then look for something else. Well, that might not work. And then the next one might not work. So they, you know, they they didn't have a way of knowing what to do next. This does that. Now, coach, I think, excuse me, I think then the the simplest way to say this, that the two crucial variables in training, a volume, which is how much work you do, and intensity is how close to your maximum capability are you working? Well, by far, the greatest cause of injury and lack of progress is improper or too much volume. So, you know, you can't live without air. But you can blow away in a hurricane. Can't live without water, but you can drown in it. So water is not bad, but too much water is. And it's, you know, so many tennis players used to get tennis elbow. Well, tennis is not bad, but too much tennis is. So this has given us a way to determine optimal levels of work. And then not only what to do, but then again, how to, how to follow up this week and this month. And 
told you, I, I think a guiding principle is this, that all of life is a cycle or a wave. And, and you think, you know, when you're born, you can't walk. And then and you think of this as a bell curve. Then going up further up one side, then you can walk. Then at the top, you can run. Well, then on the way down the, the right side, you can walk. And then as you get toward the end, you know, you can't walk. <laughs> right. So it's can't walk, can walk, can run, can walk, can't walk. Well, all of life is really like that. And if we can waive the stress of training numerically, then we have gone a long way to eliminate overtraining. And it, let me go back to that bell-shaped curve just a second, Coach. The yeah. idea or the goal of training is to make that peak where you can run to make it higher and broader. That's the goal of training. Right. To make the peak higher and broader. Well, by waiving the volume of training that we do, we are able then, one, to keep the body in a constant state of adaptation because it doesn't know what it's going to be asked to do tomorrow. We will vary the amount of work tomorrow. The intensity stays within the relatively narrow range. Between uh, nearly all of our work is done between 70 and 85% of one RM. But it's the volume, the waving the volume that makes the difference. So, Got it. Coach, yeah. there are seven categories of exercises that have enough effect on the central nervous system that you really have to count what you're doing. And those are snatches, cleans, presses, squats, jerks, pulls, and posterior chain exercises. You know, uh, of course, say in football, you have to do neck work, but that doesn't have enough effect on the nervous system to count that in your total volume. Every sport has to do abdominal work. Well, that doesn't have enough effect on your central nervous system to count in your volume. So the hardest part is right at the beginning when you decide how you want to apportion the volume of the work you do between those categories of exercises. And you don't have to do all of them. That just means you get to do more of the ones that you think are the most valuable for your sport. So I don't think there's much doubt that in sport, any sport that I know anything about, cleans and squats aid performance more than any other exercise. So it makes sense that you need to do more of that than anything else. If you think they're the most valuable, then you need to be doing more of those. Again, Coach, the hardest part of this whole thing is the first time. And then the next time is all, takes half the time. The third time you do this, it takes even half the time of the second time. What type of time frame um, 
is typical for the first time of going through. Coach, it all depends. Now, for this old cotton picker from Mississippi here, it took it took a while. But then I have uh, explained this to coaches who just seem to pick up on it as soon as I said it. But coach, what you have to do, coach, it could be it could be twenty four hours of work. It can easily be that much. To plan your first month. Okay. But then, Coach, then depending on what the next month is, and that's our basic unit of planning. We plan the month first, then the weeks, and then the day. After you have gotten that first month figured out, then you breeze through the second month. You just decide whether that's like a preseason month or whether that's still a, an off-season training month. If it's an off-season training month, you won't increase the volume. But the percentages of the different exercise categories stay the same. The percentages that you do each day and each week, they stay the same. For example, let's just make this something easy, Coach. Let's just say that you decide in looking at what you want to do and things you've done in the past that you thought were successful, you decide you want to do a thousand reps this next month. Okay. And I'm just saying that because the, the math is easy. Yeah. Well, then in the first month, I'm sorry, in the first week of that month, you do 27% of your work for the month. So 27% of 1,000, that's 270 reps. You've got 270 reps of total work to do that week. The next week is 22% of 1,000 or 220 reps. Third week is 32%. That's the big work week, the big volume week. Okay. That's 320 reps. The fourth week is an unloading week, 19% of a thousand reps or 190 reps. And then if you're training four days a week, the days mirror the weeks. So Monday, 27% of 270. That's how much total work you can do Monday. Tuesday, 22% of 270 in week one. How much work you can do that day. Thursday, 32% of 270, et cetera. Got it. Coach, that allows for built-in recovery. It prevents overtraining. And, Coach, it leads to longer-term progress than anything that we've seen. You know, Coach, you can take a novice and just do anything for six weeks, and he'll improve. Yeah, exactly. But – after that, the coach had better have some skill and some knowledge of, of what he's trying to do or, you know, or all progress will cease and they'll actually start to decline in their physical condition. So you walk through a four-week training block and then week four is a deload, as you mentioned. What yes, would, sir. What would be the next uh, phase? Would, would it it, it depends on where you are in the year. Okay. Again, okay. If that is, just say you're in the last month before the season starts, then there would 
probably be more emphasis on running and jumping and less on weight training. Yep. So you might lower the volume, but the numbers stay the same. Okay. So say you go from a thousand reps, for example, to 800. Well, week one, you do 27% of 800 reps. Week two, 22% of 800 reps, et cetera, et cetera. And then, Coach, with that block, where, where does the intensity uh, – I may have missed that. How, does that. how does the intensity relate to the volume parameters that you just that is about? That's a great question. Coach, we live between 70 and 85%. 70 and 85, okay. Of the 1RM, and really – uh, Russians divided effort or intensity into, they called it zones of intensity. 50 to 59% is really warm up. 60 to 69% is for speed of muscle contraction. 70 to 79% is both strength and speed. And then 80 to 89% is more strength. And then 90 plus etc. is, you know, is pure strength. So um, professional athletes spend more time in the 80 to 89 than college or high school, but they still spend most of their time in the 70 to 79% range. Okay. Now, coach, one, the, the, Two little things I want to mention here. One is this. Is it to get a training effect from an exercise, you need to do no no fewer than 10 reps. And to avoid overtraining, no more than 35 reps in a given exercise. Yes. Okay. So, Coach, you can see then also – that they never do the same workout twice. You know, if Monday and Thursday are the same, well, they're doing more work on Thursday than they are on Monday if you're doing the same exercises. And then the next week, you're doing less on Monday than you did the previous Monday, and on Thursday, you're doing less than you did the previous Thursday, but it's still more than that Monday. So the body can never predict what it's going to be asked to do and thus continues to adapt. (laughs) I'm I'm quiet here because I'm writing down and thinking about a lot of the things that you're saying. Well, coach, let me tell you, if if this sounds complicated, it's not. And I can say that because if I learned it and my IQ is lower than room temperature, then (laughs) anybody can learn this. And that's why we think having the book is of value because you always have something to refer back to. Right. And then coach, another thing by deciding how much of your total work you wanted to put into each category of exercise. You know, I, I said that I thought cleans and squats. I, I was taught that, but always believed it. Well, Someone did an analysis, I didn't know how to do this, of my program. This was well before I met Mr. Goldstein. And it turns out I was doing 42% of my work in presses. Man, I was so embarrassed. You know, so I was saying one thing and doing another. Yeah, yeah. So just a benefit 
of this type of planning is it helps you to figure out or to learn, am I really doing what I think I'm doing? Am I emphasizing what I think is most important? Coach, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of, you know, listeners here that are hearing this is, is the system, is it exclusively for coaches or could this be used by athletes? And- Absolutely. Okay. okay. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we've already had several, pro- a, a number of college professors that have expressed an interest in using this as a textbook. Oh, wow. So it's for students. It's for anybody that is serious about competing. Do you think that, um, you know, when, when I think that when people hear about uh, Soviet training, um, and, and you kind of mentioned this, that maybe there's a complexity perception involved with that, but you're saying it's super simple. Um, Absolutely it is. I mean, it's the, the, the real dilemmas you have are deciding on how much work to do. And then coach, you know, a coach who's done this for any period of time, his first time that he is uh, using this type of planning, if he has any experience at all, he can see, oh boy, I've got, I'm putting too much work on him or I'm not putting enough. You don't change anything but the total volume. Okay. So that's all. Volume is the key variable here. It is the key variable. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, I wonder if you could comment. So you mentioned recovery. You mentioned, well, so optimizing recovery, preventing overtraining, uh, obviously performance. I wonder if you can comment on, on injury prevention and maybe the what kind of injury, low incidence of injuries did you see with your athletes that, that did this, this program? Well, there, you know, there are two areas uh, that we would have to be concerned with injury prevention. One is, of course, w- when they're under our supervision, whether it's running, jumping, lifting, or whatever, injuries while training – and then also then injury in, in practice or competition. So first of all, I'll just take while they're, you know, they're working with us. Then because there was so much built in restoration and recovery, we just saw, you know, practically no injuries. And then on the field, because through this type of training that they had raised the peak of their curve so high, then they were much more adept at at giving out injuries than they were in receiving themselves. Um, One of our players, the Giants, Harry Carson, said at one of our reunions, he said, you know, we were so much stronger than other teams, I actually felt sorry for some of them. But <laughs> we we uh, were always, you know, I'm sure there had to have been some exceptions somewhere, but yet we were darn near every year at the very top of the league and fewest games missed due to injury. Wow, that's great. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. But, but this certainly is 
certainly was a contributing factor. You mentioned injuries while training. Um, you attribute some of that due to the restoration with, with the program, with the system. Is there anything special that you were doing or is the recovery and restoration just kind of a natural thing that happens as a result of uh, training with the system approach? Well, I would, I would just say this, that injuries come um, Rob Panarello, one of the co-authors. Yes. And he is smarter than a, I'm telling you, he's smarter than a, than a library full of PhDs. But <laughs> anyway, Rob said that of the athletic injuries that he treats, at least 80% come from overuse. By far, the smaller occurrence is from in, in too much intensity. So okay. that in itself is a, to me, is a major plus. The fact that when I don't ever, I, when I first started coaching, I used to think that if they could walk right when they got through, that we hadn't worked hard enough. Well, that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. They should always feel like they can do a little more. With each exercise, they should feel like, you know, they can do more. That in itself helps mitigate against overtraining. Yeah, so... Is, is just, that clear? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say... I was actually gonna... weeks, Every four weeks. That's where both intensity and volume were lowered. Yeah. We'd never get over, say, 70 or 75%. Yeah, so you you should feel fresh and not completely burnt out, is what you're saying. Not exactly fresh now. We didn't get, okay. Okay. It, it was hard, but not just, you know, oh, man, I, I had, I've got nothing left. They should, at the end of the workout, they should feel like, well, you know, I, I could have done a little more. If you don't mind me asking, so you mentioned that, uh, Rob said that 80% of the injuries come from overuse. What percent of injuries in, in your experience were, and I'm talking about uh, training related injuries. So how many of those training related injuries, well, you actually you said you didn't see many at all. So this probably isn't a good question, but I was just curious your thoughts on um, technique and how important technique is, oh, especially te- when listen. we're talking about Olympic weightlifting. Coach, technique is everything because if the technique is not correct, you're not doing the exercise the way it was designed to be done, and you're not deriving the benefit from the exercise that it's done properly will give you. We, um, I think this, that learning how not only to, how to dose the loading but then getting better and better at teaching. So just for example, this is something, shoot, I didn't know this for years, but it makes so much sense. Squats. If you think about a lot of people that you've seen squatting, you know, they come up and once they break that sticking point, you know, right there at the very end, they coast to the top. You know, like the last six inches, and oh boy, you know, the weight, you know, your leverage is better, blah, blah, blah. And the weight feels lighter. And so you just, 
coast to the finish line. But for athletes, they should squat as fast as they can, not down, but up as fast as they can. Because you think about it in most sports, action occurs from what is called an athletic position. Well, just, just think, why in the world would you train slow at the position where the exercise is going to be of the greatest value when in competition you're going to need to be your fastest there? So squats, bench presses, incline presses. This is a coaching point that we use. Rattle the plates at the top. Down under control up as fast as possible. Rattle the plates at the top. Now, if you don't do that, you're just bench pressing. Doing it this way, you're bench pressing for football. Because when linemen punch, you know, they don't draw their arms way back. Their arms are semi-extended and they punch. Just say it's a six-inch punch. Yeah, well, why in the world would you bench press slowly those last six inches? So what I'm saying is that probably a lot of things that we did wrong over the years were from coach stupidity, meaning me, rather than uh, certainly I overtrained kids for years. I certainly was the the prime criminal at that. Well, players, there were a bunch of players who got better in spite of me. Well, when we learned how to do this, boy, everything was better. Everything. Players progressed farther and faster. They stayed at a physical peak longer in their career. So, Coach, I, that leads me to ask you about strength, and you're kind of alluding to this, but um, the importance of strength in athletic development. And then I guess really the question is the, the type of strength that's most important. Okay. That is a great, great question. First of all, strength is the physical quality that underlies all other qualities. A stronger muscle will contract faster than a weaker muscle. And generally speaking, a stronger muscle in generally is more flexible than a weaker muscle. And certainly a stronger muscle is more durable than a weaker muscle. A stronger muscle has more endurance than a weaker muscle. And if you don't believe that, just think about this. Say you can bench press 400 pounds and I can bench press 250, or let's just say 300 to make it a fairly respectable number. So we put 200 on the bar. Who could do more reps? Me. Or no, I'm sorry, you. Because <laughs> you're stronger than I am. You could do more reps. Now, at 50% of our max, which would be 150 for you and 200 for me, you might could do as many or more than I could. But strength is specific in that you need to train for strength in the ways that you use it. So, for example, a, a study was done 
uh, I believe in Great Britain. Now, Coach, you know that most athletic movements take place in in or about two-tenths of a second. Well, there were two groups trained. The one group you just trained just for strength with no emphasis on speed of movement. Okay. There no emphasis on how fast they move the bar. Then there was another group that was trained ballistically. They did ballistic movement, you know, like power claims, and the emphasis was on cleaning the weight as fast as possible, squatting, you know, rattling the plates at the top. Well, at the end of the time period, the group that just trained for strength and the group that trained ballistically were both tested, all right? They tested to see which group could apply the most force in five-tenths of a second which means, you know, if you can apply the most force at five-tenths per second, that's fine, but you're late for the party. The play's already happened. (laughs) So the group that just trained for strength could apply more force at five-tenths per second. But at two-tenths per second, the group that trained ballistically applied more force. Okay. So that, to me is a reason why we place a a lot of emphasis on ballistic type movements. And you don't say, well, a bench press is not ballistic. Yeah, it is. Down under control, up as fast as possible. That's the way we do those exercises. Coach, let me ask you, do you think that um, today, do you think that, some coaches, maybe most coaches, um, have fallen out of favor with the Olympic lifts. What are your What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I okay. don't know that. I, I I do know this: that in the NFL, with the collective bargaining agreement that they're all having to operate under now, strength coaches have just been hamstrung in their ability to help the players because. If you don't make the playoffs, it's about four months before you can even start working with your players. Four okay. months. Wow. Then wow. you have two weeks of uninterrupted training. Well, if you ain't seen them in four months, you know, you're not going to start out with any uh, high-end speed work or heavy lifting. So really, you're just kind of figuring out where they are at the end of those two – during those two weeks. Then they go into a period of time where they have meetings and drills on the field with their position coaches. So the running is compromised. Then they have three weeks of, they call them OTAs, organized team activities, where you have meetings and then practices without pads. Then the running and the lifting are compromised. So, and now strength coaches have no ability to really help their players in all season, and yet they're being held accountable for injuries. So I can see, although I don't know this to be true, I can see where coaches in the NFL today would want to emphasize the simplest possible exercises that are of some value. I don't know that to be true, but I could certainly understand that thinking. But in, in college today, I don't know more than a handful of colleges 
that don't live and die with cleans and squats. And when you say cleans, are you talking power cleans or cleans? Well, in, in weightlifting parlance, the, the word before clean just means where you're going to catch it. So a power clean can be from the floor. It can be from blocks. It can be two inches. It just means you're going to catch it in a quarter squat. Yes. So uh, you can do power cleans from the hang, for example. I know folks who've been very successful majoring in cleans from the hang. I know other coaches who are very successful doing them strictly from the floor. I know coaches that vary the starting positions and are very successful. But I just don't know how you can say you're training for sport without doing cleans of some type. Got it. Got it. Uh, So you would say back to, uh, I guess, essential exercises, cleans and squats are the absolute essentials. In my opinion, yes, sir. Wow. I mean, there is so much in this book and, you know, we're just really scratching the surface here. Uh, So I've had a chance to read the... I shouldn't say read um, and through the PDF in its entirety. I haven't done that uh, because I'm waiting for the physical book and I I can't wait to get it. Um, I mean, it looks, it looks amazing. It's extremely comprehensive. I actually didn't get into the specifics of the system that you have talked about uh, here during this, this conversation. So I'm really excited to see if it's um, as simple as you say it is. And I, I believe, I believe it will be. What do you think that people need to to know uh, about this book, about this system that we haven't maybe talked about here today? And like I said, I know there's a lot to discuss, but what well, is important for the listener to know? I, I think this, that if, say, if you're a coach, you're a young coach and you're at a school that's, say, limited in its coaching staff and their facilities, and, you know, maybe all of this, you know, conducting a a training program is new to you. You can do pretty darn well just, I think, with this book. Now, of what to do, how much of it to do, how to structure it, what to do, you know, what exercises kind of go together, how this day should be different from the next day, you know, then have a plan from week to week, month to month, the running, the jumping, you know, there, there is very little this left out. Now we did not have a section in there really to go into depth on exercise technique. I mean, you could have gotten into a, you know, a Gone with the Wind or War and Peace size book if if you did that. (laughs) Or even, you know, flexibility, dynamic flexibility. Although Al goes into that, Al is kind of the, you know, he did uh, most of the work on the the running and the jumping. And he does, he goes into dynamic flexibility. So, you know, he, he could go into a lot greater depth on that. But again, a coach, would have just except really for technique and information on that is readily available in a lot of places. This book, we think to based on our experience and what anybody has told us that there's nothing like this out there. So we, we just think it would be a value to any coach or any athlete 
who is serious about getting better and serious about, you know, about training and getting the most out of themselves. Coach, uh, here, a question I wanted to ask you earlier and just made me think of that as you were explaining um, what you just said, but the system, is it more based on principles or, or specific programming? The specific- I'm glad you asked that. That is a great question. Okay. On principles. On principles. On principles. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Coach, you know, you might decide in training uh, someone who is really serious about training, but for whatever the reason, either, you know, you don't place the same value on squatting that, that we do. You are perfectly free to impart your own values to the different categories of exercise. You are perfectly free to do that. But we do provide the framework for however you decide to do it. So you'll still have the framework, even if you don't agree with what what we believe to, to be the most effective. Got it. So it is the principles rather than any uh, spoon-fed program. It's by far it's the principles that uh, I think would be of value to anyone who reads it and has, you know, certainly allows for creativity and the individual uh, beliefs and individual needs of, of your population. And then another important question I wanted to ask is as far as the – the length of the system. And what, what I'm asking here, here is how long uh, could this system be used for the long-term development Ever. of the athlete? Okay. Okay. Ever. So for the only- length of their career. And it would be just as valuable mm-hmm. to a 14 year old as to a 30 year old. That's amazing. Because again, it's principles and not a, you know, yeah. do this, do that, do it exactly the way we say that, you know, all of that. It's the principles that allows the coach or the athlete the freedom to make their own decisions. Yeah. Coach, how long did it take you guys to uh, put this all together in, in the book that you have? That's a good question. I think we worked on all of this really for over a year. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jeremy Hall, who yes. volunteered to do the writing. Oh, he wow. Okay. Put all of this together. Now, Jeremy lived close to me. Okay. And so we would meet in person and spend an afternoon together. And then, you know, then a few days later, we'd spend another afternoon. It was, you know, a lot of weekends. We'd spend, you know, literally several hours together. And then we would talk over the phone. And then he would interview Al and Rob over the phone. And, uh, so I would say it was for sure a year, probably okay. longer. Yeah. And poor Jeremy Hall probably feels like it was three lifetimes with all <laughs> the work he put into it. <laughs> right. Oh, man. And just, you know, we certainly would want to thank Laurie Draper at OTP just for believing in us and, yeah. you know, willing to stick her neck out to – you know, to publish this book. And I just, you know, thank you for your interest. And yeah. Thank you oh. people that have, that have bought it. My pleasure. Uh, you know, I, so I know that you actually, this is your second book and this is probably 
totally different from your first book. Is that it sure correct? is? It's a lot better too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mainly because mainly because I've learned so much since then, and also because Al and Rob and Jeremy were all you know in, in, involved in this, and they you know cleaned up a lot of my ignorance. So right, right, okay, awesome. So the book is available at uh, otpbooks.com, which is Larry Draper's site, of course. Uh, that's where I would recommend to get it. Um, there is a, a Kindle version on Amazon. Um, I always recommend to my audience here to get the physical print book, I think, especially with a book like this, because this is going to be a, a usable book, something you're going to refer back to and use over and over again um, for the long term. So uh, I would definitely recommend the print book. And, and again, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm literally waiting for the print edition myself. Um, so as we wrap up, um, you know, first of all, I thank you so much for all your time. and Coach, thank you for your interest and your patience. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, my, now, my, que- my, my question as we wrap up is, what is the final advice that um, you can offer for a coach, for an athlete, um, even for you know, a fitness enthusiast, someone that's training at a high level? Let's get the book. Let's get the system, understand the system. But what's uh, maybe something uh, practical, tactical advice that you can Okay, I would say this, that if, if, if you go to the Olympics, you know, these the great athletes, every one of them has a coach. None of them try to do it themselves. They deserve to have a coach who can see what they do, who can – advise and who can correct mistakes that they don't know that are there. So I would, I would say that for, for anybody, if you're an athlete, you need a coach to help you, whether it's in this or your sport, whatever, you need a coach. If you're a coach, you need a mentor. You need somebody that's been around the block a few times to help you. Coach Dan Reeves, who was kind enough to write the, the uh, introduction to this book. Yes. When Coach Reeves got his first head coaching job at the Denver Broncos, one of the first things he did was to hire his old college coach, Coach Marvin Bass, you know, from the University of South Carolina, just to be a set of eyes and ears for him. And that's one of the smartest things any coach can do yes. is to have somebody that you trust who isn't afraid to tell you when you're doing it wrong or that there's might be a better way of doing it, or you might want to think about this. The other thing I would say is this coach, is it Jack Nicholas, undoubtedly the greatest golfer that ever lived. He won 18 majors and was runner up in 19 more at the age of 60. You know, his competitive career was over and he had his golf course design business the age of 60, Jack Nicholas was taking lessons. Wow. <laughs> taking lessons. Wow. Hands down, the greatest that ever lived. Yeah. So I would say this to anybody keep getting better. Keep getting better. And shoot, I'm still trying to get it right after all these years. <laughs> Coach, if, if I could do, can I do one thing? And I didn't ask permission, and you can cut this out if you don't. No. But go anytime ahead. I speak, 
I always like to leave my phone number for anybody that's interested and that just wants to talk. Okay. You know, if they have questions, if they have anything, and it's 727-415-8236. And there's certainly no money involved. It's an honor to me and a privilege to me that somebody would call and, you know, just want to ask questions or talk over, you know, the situations that they're faced with, whatever. That's what I spend a lot of time doing now. And it's, again, it's a privilege to me to do it. And that's the way I pay back Alvin Roy and Louis Ricky and, and Clyde Emmerich is by trying to help in my feeble way to help young coaches the way they help me. Wow. Well, that's, uh, I, I definitely will not cut that out. I'll leave that. And I really, uh, you know, respect and honor that uh, you just provided your phone number and offered that that people can actually reach out to you. Um, this has been such an honor. I mean, it really has. I'm, I'm really privileged to have you here today. I hope the audience has taken a lot away from this. And I think they will because you really shared some specific uh, tactical things and you made it very simple to understand. Um, like I said, I was actually taking a lot of notes during our conversation and I personally learned a lot. So we all thank you for your enormous contributions to the industry and what you've done for the profession and will continue to do by, by giving back and doing the things that, that you just mentioned here. So um, I, I just wish you the best success with the book. I'm, I'm, I know it's going to do very well, uh, especially you know hearing about how important th- this system is and what it can do for people and do for athletes and do for coaches. So I know it's going to be very, very successful. And uh, I'm excited to be you know, just doing a little small part here in, in spreading your knowledge and your, your message here. So thank you. Thank you so much. Coach, thank you so very, very much for your interest and, and for your time. And, and I, I can't tell you how humbled and honored that I am and that, that you would do this and that Rob and Al would want to, and Laurie and all them would want to have their name associated with this old <laughs> Again, I'm awfully honored. Thank you very, very much. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, that is a wrap for the episode today. And uh, once again, thanks to Coach Johnny Parker for doing the interview. A lot of great content. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. Make sure to check out the uh, post with uh, additional Uh, information and resources based on things that were discussed in this session. I know you'll get value out of that. And uh, again, I thought he was really just a a great guy and so honored to speak with coach Johnny Parker and learn about the system. I am really excited about things that are on the horizon with ArdellaTraining.com to be the very first to find out about the great things that are coming your way. Make sure to go to ArdellaTraining.com forward slash join. You'll get some free training resources and you'll become part of the community. And I'm really, really fired up about the remainder of this year. And I feel like the podcast is going really amazing. I have some great guests coming your way uh, and we've had great guests in the last couple of weeks covering a lot of different topics. I hope, hope that you've gotten a lot of value out of the things, the different things that we've discussed here on the show. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Let me know what I can do for you. Let me know how I can help. Any comments, feedback, or suggestions, I look forward to it. So have a great one, guys. Have a great week. Have a great day. And we'll talk again soon. Take care.